everyone. Welcome. Glad to see you here today. Welcome to everybody. Uh, it's good to share this time of worship and fellowship together, and, uh, and we're glad that you're here. Let me remind you of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to uh, ask, if you would, to take those and fill, fill them out for us. Uh, uh, give us information that you feel comfortable giving to us. We would appreciate it. Uh, just a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. Uh, first of all, Thursday of this week, I can't believe it, is the end of October. That means it's Halloween. That means that we have our annual fall festival that evening. And um, we were, we've were we been planning on doing things a little bit differently this year. We're not going to be having chili. We're going to be having hot dogs and chips and cookies and things like that. And uh, and so we still need some volunteers. We need, uh, we need candy. We need volunteers to serve food. We need volunteers to, um, to man the, the trunk or treat that we're going to be doing either at your car or we'll set up a table and you can do it at a table. And uh, so there's a lot going on and we could use your help in any way possible. Um, Now, that being said, uh, the weather report at the moment says that it's going to be um, cold and rainy and even a few snow flurries maybe. Yeah. So, but that's Thursday. We're still about four or five days off, so let's just wait and see, and if it is bad weather, we will move everything inside. That's the good thing about having a building like this. We can be flexible, and we'll just move everything inside, and we'll do everything in here. So so please uh, plan on being here. Uh, bring your candy on in, and, and, uh, and uh, we'll just have a good time on Thursday evening. Also, um, you, you've noticed in your bulletin uh, for months now, we've talked about uh, the 25th anniversary of Community Baptist Church, and that's coming up. You've probably been wondering, what's happening? When's that going to happen? Well, it's coming up. Uh, The official founding date, uh, according to the cross stitch in my office, (laughs) which is authoritative, by the way, uh, the official founding date of Community Baptist Church is December the 11th. 11th, uh, 1994. So we will be celebrating our 25th anniversary uh, this year. What we're going to be doing is that each week in December, during Advent, we're going to have a time during our worship service when we're going to be celebrating who we are as a church. And then, but then we thought to ourselves, well, we can, we ought to have a big blowout celebration. And we thought to ourselves, December is an awful time for that. <laughs> because there's so much going on. So we're going to put it off. We're going to have a big banquet celebration on January the 4th, uh, Saturday, January the 4th, and, and continuing th- that over into our worship service on Sunday the 5th. And so uh, please put those dates on your calendar, uh, uh, plan on being there. It'll be a great time. And you can help us to prepare for that because we also need from you, we need uh, pictures, videos, anything that you have, any remembrances that you have from the past here at Community Baptist Church. If you could bring those in, we'll get them back to you, but we, we would like to copy them and, uh, and uh, have some presentations with them. Uh, also, one other thing, next week... Daylight savings time ends. 
I'm sad. Yeah? <laughs> Some people are celebrating. I'm sad. I, I, I like daylight savings time. It, it ends next week. So for, uh, before you go to bed on Sunday, on Saturday night, uh, set your clock back one hour, fall back one hour, and uh, we will see you here Sunday morning on time. Okay? All right. Let's stand and let's greet each other in the name of the Lord. <laughs> remind us through your holy people that all of these things that we do here today, all of our religious practices, all of our rituals and songs and prayers and sermons are not worth anything if we use them to try to turn you into just a better version of ourselves. That's just not what we're here for. We are here to fearfully, almost reluctantly, reach out to touch the hem of your garment. We are here because we recognize 
that you are who you are. And you are worthy of our worship. We are not here to be entertained, though we may experience joy in your presence. We are not here to hang out with our friends, though in the faces of our sisters and brothers we often see you. We are here because you are our Creator. You are the Creator of all that we see and all that we can't see. You are the one who placed us on this earth and charged us with caring for it and caring for each other. You are the one who emptied yourself and came to this earth in the form of a human being and became a servant to bring salvation to the world. Please allow us, O oh God, to humbly imitate you. Help us to put off our haughtiness today. Help us to avoid the temptation to compare ourselves with others. Help us to come humbly before you, recognizing that we have absolutely nothing to offer you except for ourselves. And so we come, ready to encounter you in love. Ready to allow your spirit to enter into our souls and change us. Grant unto us, as you did with the penitent tax collector, the assurance that in your mercy and your mercy alone, we will be justified by your grace. Accept us as your sons and daughters, together with Jesus Christ, your son and our Lord forever. Amen.
in. Children, will you come down for our children's moment, please? Okay, so this morning I want to talk to you about grace and how everything we do and the person that we are is reflected in God. So one way that um, I put my trust and faith in God is to pray. How many of you pray? Everybody prays, right? Um, So have you ever had a time when you prayed and later you didn't get what you want? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So God always knows the best way. Do you agree? So we're going to play a little game. We're going to pretend... Kind of sounds terrible that, but that I'm God, <laughs> and you're gonna. <laughs> sorry, I'm going somewhere with this. I promise. Okay, so <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna pray for something, and you don't have to tell me what it is. Okay, and I am going to hand you the answer. Okay, so come up here and pick an answer. <laughs> Which one do you want to pick? That one? Okay. Girl's going to pick an answer. I'm going to give you that one. Okay. So, I want you each to read your answer to me for your prayer. What did you get? Yes. Okay, so God answered your prayer like you wanted him to, and he gave you what you wanted. God didn't answer your prayer. And sometimes God doesn't give us what we want because he knows the right thing, and he is going to give us something bigger and better. Okay. What does yours say? Yes. So the answer is, when you pray, you're always going to get an answer, and it might not always be what you want it to be, but because you're patient and you trust in God, he's going to give you what you need, maybe not always what you want. Okay? I'm going to let you guys bow your head and pray with me. Dear God, watch over these children today and help us trust in you and have faith that you will always provide what's right for us. Maybe not always what we want, but what we need. In your name I pray, amen.
before we go to prayer and ask for thanks, I'd like to read a little something I read this week. It was kind of unique. You all may have heard it. If you haven't, bear with me. It's prayer two, and it goes like this. Dear God, so far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been selfish, greedy, grumpy, or over-intelligent. I'm very proud of that. But in a minute, God, I'm going to get out of bed. (laughs) And from there on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Amen. Shall we bow our heads? Fearing God, we humble ourselves to the day by returning the bounty you first shared with us back to your care. Without pretension or self-righteousness, we resolve to be slow to judge and ready to provide aid. We strive to increase our commitment to being thoughtful, generous people. Help us to be unassuring, unassuming I'm sorry, in our service, but hold in our witness. We pray in the name of the one who served you here on earth, Jesus Christ. Amen. chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
so much Felicia that was beautiful 
And Jika, what I think one of these days we're going to get up the guts to sing that song that you played for the offertory, the wonderful grace of Jesus. It's a hard song to sing, but when you get it, it sure is fun. <laughs> Maxie Dunham, who is a professor emeritus at Asbury Theological Seminary, likes to tell a story about uh, the University of Tennessee football coach. It seems that the, the football coach at the University of Tennessee, and this was a while back, he, he bought a, a, a bolt of cloth thinking that he would have his, a suit made out of this cloth. And so he took the material to his tailor in Knoxville, where the University of Tennessee is located. And the tailor measured the coach and examined the bolt of cloth and did some computations. And he said, I'm sorry, coach, but there just isn't enough material here on this bolt to, to make you a suit. Well, the coach was disappointed, but he threw the bolt of cloth into the trunk of his car and he wondered what he was going to do with it. Well, a couple of weeks later, that same coach was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, the home of the Crimson Tide, the University of Alabama Crimson Tide, who are arch enemies of the Tennessee Volunteers. And he was on his way to the beach for a vacation and driving down the main street in Tuscaloosa. And he noticed on the side of the road there was a, a tailor, a tailor shop, which reminded him that he still had that bolt of cloth in his trunk. And so on a, on a lark, he just stopped at the tailor shop, shop and he told the tailor that he had this bolt of cloth and he wondered if he could do anything with it. And so the tailor measured him, measured the bolt of cloth, did some computations, and finally the, the tailor said, Coach, I can make you a suit out of this bolt of cloth. And what's more, I can make you an extra pair of pants, and if you want it, I can make you a vest too. Well, the coach was a little bit dumbfounded by this. He said, I don't understand. My tailor in Knoxville told me that he couldn't even make a suit, one suit, out of this bolt of cloth. And so the tailor said, Coach, here in Tuscaloosa, you're not nearly as big a man as you are in Knoxville. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> kind of hurts, doesn't it? A friend of mine sent me an email this week, and I asked Mary Dunham if I could share this with you, and she said that I could. The person who sent it said, I was going into the gas station when I saw someone that often volunteers at community outreach. And I asked how it was going there, and the person said they were swamped by ne'er-do-wells. And this person said if they had their way, they would not give help to anyone under the age of 35. There's plenty of work out there that they could do, and they were just too lazy to do it. This person said it made this person sick to see the bums come and take what other people needed. Wow. My response to that, I must admit, is somewhat cynical. Because it must be nice to be wealthy enough to look down on the poor with derision. 
And it must be nice to be good enough to feel so superior to others who may or may not be so good as you are. And it must be nice to be so omniscient, so all-knowing, to judge that this person is worthy while that person is not. And it must be nice to think that you have perfect insight into the motivation of others who are humbling themselves to find help to feed their families. Such a response as this person gave is an obvious indication that this person is ignorant of the physical, spiritual, emotional, and psychological toll that poverty takes on a human being. It must be nice to stand in judgment of another human being in order to feel so good about yourself, but my friends... It is not nice. We all like to think we're the, a big man or a big woman in some area of our lives, don't we? And it's no fun when our ego trips get thrown for a loop. And, and I'm sure that those who heard Jesus tell this parable would, would have found it shocking. Probably mind-blowing. But let's just hope that their big egos didn't get in the way of them hearing and understanding this parable. And let's also hope that our big egos don't prevent us from hearing it and understanding it as well. This passage begins with the words, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So right away we are told who this parable is directed towards. Those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. But every parable that Jesus told is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to understand God better. And it's an opportunity for us to conform our lives to the image of God. It is an opportunity to, take, to turn away from our sinfulness and to get a fresh start on our lives. So what did Jesus want his hearers to understand with this story? Well, first of all, I think Jesus wanted them to know that when we compare ourselves to others, we turn religion into a competition. Jesus wanted his his hearers to understand that they were wasting their lives and missing out on the truth of God by looking down on others because of their religion. Because, folks, God is not about religion. God is about relationships. And it is a mistake for us to define ourselves by what we are not, instead of by who God is. We were made in the image of God. Every single one of us. We are part of God's family. Every single one of us. 
We are God's children. So you see, our identity is not based on comparing ourselves to others. Our identity is not based on what we have or have not. Our identity is not even based on our right behavior or motivations. Our identity is based on who God is. And the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Folks, I want to tell you something. Self-righteousness is not the same thing as holiness. It's not. The Pharisee made the mistake of comparing himself to other people. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. And we can all do that, can't we? We can all do that. And in comparison, when we do that, we usually compare ourselves to other people who we don't think are as good as we are. And so we look better, don't we? We can all do that. And to be honest with you, true confession, as I was thinking about this parable, I found myself comparing myself to that volunteer at Community Outreach who was looking down his nose at the poor people who were coming for help. And I was looking pretty good in comparison. And I found myself subconsciously saying, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that volunteer looking down his nose at the poor. But I was looking down my nose at the volunteer, wasn't I? That's what the Pharisee was doing. And he did look he, he did look good compared to the tax collector. Pharisees were members of a strict religious sect. They devoted their entire lives to observing all of the rules and all of the laws of, of the Jewish religion. They were the gold standard of righteousness in their society. But the tax collector, on the other hand, was anything but any of that. He was considered to be a traitor to his own people because he he worked for the Roman government. And his job allowed him to cheat and oppress his fellow Jews by collecting more taxes than were due so that he could line his own pockets. Tax collectors were were considered to be so corrupt that they were not even allowed to be witnesses in a court because they were not considered trustworthy enough to speak the truth in court. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. And so this Pharisee thought that, that he was all right in comparison with that tax collector. But what the, tax, what the Pharisee didn't realize was that he was not in competition with that tax collector. His competition was with the man that he himself was created to be, not the tax collector. You see, this Pharisee's prayer showed that there was a, a gaping hole in his life. He didn't really know God. And that's a sad and scary truth because, folks, we can do everything right in our lives. 
And we can keep all of the rules of our religion and still not know God. Religion is not a competition. The second thing that Jesus is trying to teach us here is that when we compare ourselves to God rather than with other human beings, we realize that we don't have anything to offer God. We don't. That's what this tax collector knew that the Pharisee didn't know. He didn't even look up to heaven. You saw what the tax collector did. He didn't even look up to heaven when he prayed. Instead, he he looks down. He bows his head down in humility. and, And he beats his breast in sorrow and simply prays, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This tax collector compared himself to a holy, holy, holy God, and he realized that he had nothing to offer. A few years ago, a famous physicist was giving a lecture at Princeton University, and there were a number of preachers in the audience. And during the question and answer period, one of the preachers stood up and asked, what is it that ministers can learn from scientists? And without any hesitation, this physicist replied, humility. Hmm. So the questioner said, that's really surprising to me. I thought all scientists were rather arrogant about all that they know. They're smart people. So the physicist said, oh, no, no, that's not the case at all. You may, you may meet one here or there, but, but the great scientists all, all over the world are, are mostly very humble people because they stand every morning before the mystery of all that they do not know. And if anyone should be that humble, it should be the minister who every morning stands before the mystery of the creator and sustainer and redeemer of the world. And isn't that true? Folks, we cannot know who God is and still hold on to our pride and self-righteousness. Because when we come into the presence of God... If we come with the least bit of arrogance, if we come thinking that we are in the least bit worthy or even good, then we're doing it wrong. The only thing that makes this relationship with God work is God, not us. Philip Yancey tells about being invited to speak at a conference on ministry to women in prostitution. And at the end of his talk, Yancey said, uh, said to the women, he, or he asked the women, Did you know that Jesus referred to your profession? And then he said, Let me, let me read what he said. And then he took his Bible out, he read from the Scriptures, and he said, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. And he was speaking to the religious authorities of his day, Yancey told them. 
And then he asked, what do you think Jesus meant by that? Why did he single out the prostitutes? Well, after several moments of silence here, a young woman with an Eastern European accent spoke up in her broken English, and she said, everyone, she has someone to look down on, not us. We are at the low. Our families, they feel shame for us. No mother nowhere looks at her little girl and says, Honey, when you grow up, I want you to be a good prostitute. Believe me, we know how people feel about us. People call us names. And and sometimes when you are at the low, you cry for help. So when Jesus comes, we respond. Maybe Jesus meant that. Do you hear what she's saying? Sometimes when you are at the low, you cry for help. And so when Jesus comes, we respond. The tax collector was at the low. And he cried out to God for help and God was there. Because that's what God does. In C.S. Lewis's fantasy story, The Great Divorce, he, it's a great visual um, representation there. He, he fantasizes about a, boat, a busload of people from hell who are driven to the gates of heaven and offered admission. But with only one exception, they all refused. And the reason why is because the people in heaven are so radiant and so substantial that they make the the visitors from hell look like shadows. But there's this one pale ghost from hell who wanders through the, the gates into heaven, and immediately he is upset when he meets a citizen in heaven that he knew in his previous life on earth. And this heavenly citizen had once worked for him and had not been a very good person. In fact, he had committed a murder during his life on earth. How dare he live in heaven? He hadn't earned that right. And so the citizen from hell complained, I've been good all of my life. I I wasn't a particularly religious man, and I don't say that I didn't have any faults, but I did my best. I never asked for anything and that wasn't mine. And if I wanted a drink, I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I did my job. I wasn't asking for anything but my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity, he said. And so the heavenly citizen looked at him in the eye and said, Then do it. Do it at once. Ask for the bleeding charity. The tax collector in Jesus' parable was asking for the bleeding charity. And God gave it to him. Jesus finished his parable by saying, I tell you that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. 
For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what does that mean that he went home justified? It means that his sins were forgiven. He got exactly what he asked for. Mercy. From a holy, holy, holy God who knows that we can never be holy enough to deserve God's mercy. And that brings us to the final point of this parable. If you don't know grace, you don't know God. Because grace, the unearned gift of God's love and salvation through Jesus Christ, was God's plan for us all along. Timothy Paul Jones um, wrote a book called Proof. And in this book, he writes about his middle daughter who, was, who is adopted. And there's a little bit of an interesting situation here because she had been adopted before, but her adoptive parents gave her up again and put her back into the foster family, foster care uh, situation there. System. But for some reason, this previous family had never treated this child, this little girl, like they were, like she was truly their child. Whenever they went to Disney World, they took all of their biological children, but they left their their adoptive daughter behind. And so she got the message that she wasn't wanted. She wasn't good enough to earn a, a gift of a gift like Disney World. She wasn't a full member of the family. And so when Timothy Jones and his family adopted this little girl, she had a lot of behavioral outbursts and, 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 and a lot of difficulties and just in adjusting to life in a family. And so the Jones, fam- the Jones family decided that the best way to, to welcome this little girl into their family was, guess what? To plan a trip to Disney World. And when they told their new daughter about their plans, her bad behavior just got worse. She lied. She stole food even though it was available for her all that she wanted. She treated her new siblings viciously. No matter what system of punishment and rewards the Joneses used, their adopted daughter's behavior was out of control. This little girl was so afraid of not getting to go to Disney World that she was trying to guarantee her new parents would have a reason to leave her behind. And so the day finally came for their trip to Disney World. And they got there. The family went all out. Rides and refreshments and entertainment and long lines and exhaustion. If you've ever been to Disney World, you know. And that night as they collapsed... In their hotel room, Timothy asked his new daughter what she thought of that experience. She smiled at him 
said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good, but, but because I'm yours. That, that's the message of outrageous grace. You see, outrageous grace is not something that you can achieve by being good. It is the gift that you receive by being a child of God. This Pharisee missed out on the gift of God's outrageous grace because he thought he could do something to earn it. He didn't want any bleeding charity. He wanted to be good enough. And he compared himself to those around him. And when he did, he felt pretty good about himself. But the tax collector compared himself to God. And he, com- and he cried out for mercy. And it was the tax collector who went home justified that day. Not the Pharisee. Because my friends, our salvation is not about our goodness. Our salvation is about God's grace. God's amazing, amazing, outrageous grace. I think we need to sing Amazing Grace, don't you? Let's do it.
God of life, go with us now. Thank you for pouring out your spirit upon us. You have given us each other to increase the joy of worshiping together. You have created us, sons and daughters, old and young, living together. And you, O Christ, have always been with us. Thank you for reminding us of who we are in this relationship with you. And thank you for renewing a right spirit within us. And thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. Amen.